Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. My name is Jonathan. I'm part of the pastoral team. And I just want to start with a question. How many of you, every time that video comes on right before the sermon, are just want to dance a little bit? Because I do. Anybody? In fact, here's the challenge. Next week, Pastor Brian is preaching. And I just think it'd be great if we all just broke it down right before you preach. Don't you guys agree? Yes? No? Maybe? We'll see. Okay. Anyway, I want to welcome those of you here in the West Auditorium, as well as those of you worshiping with, with us in the East Auditorium, and those of you worshiping with us in Lovington. And I just want to say it's great to be here with you this morning, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some available here in this room, as well as in Lovington in the pew racks in front of you. And uh, in the East Auditorium, there are people walking around who'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Uh, the page numbers for those passages are on the screen as well. So as we begin today, I want to tell you that one of my favorite things is I learn to love how things are built. And maybe even beyond that, I love to learn how things that were maybe once built poorly uh, could be rebuilt and made right and made true and made sound. And I know that I'm not alone in this because we have entire TV networks devoted to this idea, okay? And so a few years ago, when uh, we were still living in Michigan before we moved back to Decatur, uh, we were visiting my family for the weekend, and and my dad introduced me to this show called Holmes Makes It Right. And uh, it's just a really cool show. And I don't know why these networks do this, but they tend to play the same show back to back to back to back. And so one day, I was here uh, just hanging out with my family, and we watched one, and I thought, that's cool, let's watch another one. So we watched another one. I was like, that's cool. Let's watch like four more. And then I realized I'd spent my entire day watching this guy work while I did absolutely nothing. But here's the premise of the show if you haven't seen it. Uh, Mike Holmes is a, a contractor, a very experienced contractor, and he finds either families or individuals who have major construction issues in their homes, uh, whether it's just fallen apart or they've had a contractor who maybe did, just disappeared in the middle of the job or somebody who thought they knew how to do something who maybe didn't. Um, He shows up and he fixes these homes and he makes them right. He makes sure they're going to last for a long time. And right now we are in a series called Built Up. And in this series, we're talking about this concept in our church. What does it mean to be a church that stays healthy? A church that's committed to building itself up. A church that is committed to doing the things that Jesus has called us to do so that we don't leave a mess for the next generation. And all of this centers on this, this idea of And Philippians chapter one, we're gonna get to John one in a minute, but Philippians chapter one says this, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I love the way that the New Living Translation puts this. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. So this series, we're answering the question, what does it mean for us as a church to live in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ? So a few weeks ago, Pastor Wayne talked about a few things. He talked about how we are to live holy lives. We are to embrace change. We're to value the next generation. And then just for bonus, he taught us all how to floss. And since the younger generation got to teach us how to floss, I thought my generation could teach us how to do the Macarena. So I'd like to invite you, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. I know some of you are like, seriously, again? But here's the deal, okay. Then last week, Pastor Wayne talked about Worship being our primary purpose. It's the reason that we exist. It's the reason that we live. To show up and to worship on weekends, but to live lives daily where we are worshiping God with our lives. So this week we want to add to that. We want to talk about the next building block, and I believe that is this, that we exist beyond that as a church, beyond worshiping as a church to make disciples who can make disciples. And I know some of you who know me are like, whoa, the discipleship pastor's talking about discipleship. Never heard that before. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it through, okay? 
So to help us unpack this, of what it means to be disciples who make disciples, I wanna invite you to join me in John 1. And the book of John is written by one of Jesus' disciples who's named John, and it's one of four uh, ancient biographies that we have about the life of Jesus in the Bible. And in John chapter one, John's trying to do two things. He's trying, first of all, to talk about the power of who Jesus is. So he talks about how Jesus is God and he was with God in the beginning. How he's the light and how he is life. And he, uh, how he was the word of God made flesh. But then he introduces us to this person called John the Baptist. So who was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was a messenger sent by God to, to tell everyone that Jesus was coming, to point the way to Jesus. And so we see in this passage that John has two disciples with him. So John has his own disciples, and since we're talking about discipleship and John has his disciples, let's just quickly define what a disciple is. The word for disciple is used 264 times in the New Testament, and it means someone who is either an apprentice in a trade or a pupil of a teacher. You see, in first century Jewish culture, every young man would have wanted to become a disciple who followed a rabbi or a master teacher to learn their ways, to, to take on their understanding of scripture. And so in this passage, we see these two guys are following John because that's what they're trying to do with him. And at the same time, John is pointing them to Jesus. And so we pick up in verse 35. This is what it says. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had to say and who had followed Jesus. And so the first question here is there's two disciples, and we know that one of Andrew, one of them is Andrew. Who is the other one? Well, most scholars agree that the other one was John, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote this gospel. And so just to really make things simple, John who was a disciple of Jesus, wrote this gospel. He talks about John the Baptist, who he had also been a disciple of. Everybody clear now? Is that really, okay, good. All right, moving on. Okay. The second thing we notice here is that these two guys leave John to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if this were me, I would have been hurt like, dude, I've been investing in you. You've been my disciple. What are you doing? But that's not at all what John did. John was excited because his job was to point to Jesus. And so he sent them to Jesus and they followed this is a pretty sweet deal for them too because they basically just upgraded their rabbi. It was like moving from a Samsung rabbi to an iPhone rabbi, and who wouldn't want that, right? Some of you are shaking your heads like you got that wrong, but I know I got it right. <laughs> so the question becomes, what does this passage have to do with discipleship? Well, first of all, can I just say I think this whole interaction is hilarious. So these guys are following John, he points to Jesus, and they just get up and leave. No, thanks, John, it's been really good following you. Here's a gift card to B-dubs for the time you spent with us. Hit me up later on Facebook, none of that. They just get up and go. And then there's this time where they're following Jesus, and he doesn't notice that they're there, and finally he notices that they're there, and he asks them a question, what do you want? Now, when I hear that question in my mind, I think of a grumpy old man who says, what do you want? Get off my lawn. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think what Jesus is saying instead is, how may I assist you today? And the truth is that the most important thing here is that these are the very first words that John records Jesus saying in his gospel. And I don't think that's an accident. I think John did that on purpose because he wanted everyone to understand that the very first thing everyone must answer when we come to Jesus is what do you want? Are you here to explore? Are you interested? Are you, are you interested in knowing what this is really about? 
And so Andrew and John, they respond by asking a question. Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says these words, come and you will see. And this word come here in Greek means to show up, to take that first step to learn more. So the first step in discipleship really is to show up, to explore, to ask questions, to dig into truth and see what it's about. And some are here today and, and you're just checking church out. Maybe this is your first time here and you're just thinking, I just gotta see what this church thing is about. Or maybe it's your first time in a long time. And if that happens to be you, I just wanna commend you because that is a big step. I also wanna let you know that we don't wanna shove Jesus down your throat, but we would love to talk with you about the questions that you have. Because each of us in this room who are following Jesus at one time or another have had someone do that with us. And so we would love to join you in that. So the first step of discipleship is to show up. And from here, we see that we have a choice. And I think that's also exemplified in this, process, in this passage. You see, Andrew and John, they got up and followed. They didn't just go by Jesus' house and go, wow, sweet place, thanks for giving me a tour. They actually got up and spent time with him. And Jesus invited them in, he taught them, he talked with them, he told them, he answered their questions. And we see by what happens next that Andrew and John had decided to follow Jesus, to devote their lives to Jesus. The truth is that the second step of discipleship is to get up and follow. Once we've showed up, once we've learned, we have to get up and follow. And that's a choice that we each get to make. For us, that means admitting that we're sinners, you know, admitting that there's this brokenness between us and God and that we need the grace of Jesus through his death and his resurrection to overcome that. But it also means beyond that, choosing to follow him daily. It's not just a one-time thing, it's a daily thing. It's an opportunity for us to say, yes, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. And so we show up and we get up and follow and what happens next? Well, we see the next part in verse 41. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. We see right away that Andrew's allegiance changed because he went and got his brother. Now I wanna take a minute to admit that Andrew is a pretty great brother because I don't have a brother, but if I found the Messiah, I kinda wanna keep that to myself a little bit. So I'd probably tell my sisters, but I might do it more like, yeah, I went to, got up this morning and went to the mall and had a pretzel, found the Messiah, got some ice cream. You do anything cool? Or maybe I'd do it a little bit more like this. Guess who found the Messiah? Guess who found the Messiah? But Andrew didn't do that, and I probably shouldn't have either. That's okay. <laughs> Andrew goes and he finds his brother and he takes him to Jesus and Jesus does something interesting. He changes his name. He gives him a new name, the name Peter, which means rock. You see, Peter became a pretty big deal in the New Testament. In fact, he was Jesus' go-to disciple. I know some of you are thinking like, whoa, Jesus had 12 disciples. Surely he didn't play favorites. But if we look at the text, we see, yes, Jesus had 12 disciples, but there are a number of occasions where he spends significant time with just three of those disciples. And Peter was one of those. We also see other times where Jesus had one-on-one -on -one interactions with Peter. And Jesus knew that Peter was going to be the rock that he was going to build his church on after he left. Now, I wanna be careful because um, anytime we talk about somebody being that special, we need to remember that they also make mistakes. Peter made some significant mistakes. In fact, the night before Jesus was killed, he, he told Peter, he predicted that Peter was going to deny him. And Peter was so indignant about this, he said, I would rather die than deny you. And yet just a few hours later, as Jesus is being arrested and beaten and, and put on trial, Peter does deny him three times. 
And the amazing thing is, a few weeks later, after Jesus has risen from the grave and he has ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit has come, in the book of Acts, we see Peter preaching to this large group of people and it tells us that 3,000 people that day decided to get up and follow Jesus. And that only happened because Andrew invited Peter to come see Jesus. But you see, Andrew wasn't the only one. Because if we look at verse 43, we see this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. See, Jesus invites Philip and Philip invites Nathanael. And that's the third step of discipleship is to bring others along. Not only to show up and hear about who Jesus is and to explore who he is, but to invite others along with us on the journey. You see, sometimes when we bring others along, it goes really well. We get to invite Peter and he gets to be the rock star of the New Testament. And sometimes when we invite others along, we invite along Nathaniel. And Nathaniel cracks me up because he's a bit of a cynic. In fact, the very first thing Nathaniel says, because he hears Jesus is from Nazareth and Nazareth's kind of a small town that had a bad reputation, is he says, Nazareth, really? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Just to put that in our context, it'd be like me saying, Mawikwa, really? Can anything good come from Mawikwa? I'm just kidding. There's a couple in my small group from Mawikwa. We love them. We've met other people from Mawikwa. You're great. It just seemed funny, so I had to say it. But when um, Nathaniel is done insulting Jesus, he comes to Jesus and something amazing happens. You see, in one sentence, Jesus changes Nathaniel's mind. He goes from Nazareth, really, to you are the son of God, the king of Israel. That's a big jump. And that all happened because Philip invited Nathaniel. He goes on to tell Nathaniel, Jesus tells Nathaniel, you're gonna see amazing things. And Nathaniel gets to see the power and the beauty of Jesus' ministry. In fact, in John 21, the very end of the book, we see that Nathaniel is with Jesus and some other disciples, the resurrected Jesus having breakfast. That's an amazing thing. You see, Philip brought along Nathaniel and Nathaniel got up and followed and Jesus transformed his life which brings us to the fourth step of discipleship. Because as we follow each of these men's story throughout the New Testament, we see that they became disciples who discipled other disciples and so on and so forth. And they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Before Jesus left the earth and ascended into heaven in his resurrected form, he met with his disciples a number of times. And the very last time he did that, he gave them some very specific instructions. It's kind of Jesus' final challenge, final words to his disciples. We call it the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus said. We find it in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So step four of discipleship is to be disciples who make disciples. And I love the way Dallas Willard puts this in his book, The Great Omission. He writes, Jesus told us explicitly what to do. We have a manual, just like a car owner. He told us as disciples to make disciples, not converts to Christianity, nor to some particular faith and practice. He did not tell us to arrange for people to get in or make the cut after they die, nor to eliminate the various brutal forms of injustice, nor to produce and maintain successful churches. These are all good things, and he had something to say about all of them, and they will certainly happen if but only if we are his constant apprentices and do make constant apprentices 
what he told us to be and do. And if we just do this, it will little matter else what else we do or do not do. You see, Willard here is saying there's a lot of things that God has called us to, but ultimately it comes down to a few things, and that is making sure that worship is a priority in our lives, and then taking seriously Jesus' instructions to us to be disciples who make disciples. And if we're doing this the right way, two things should be happening. Number one, we should always be growing in numbers because we should be bringing others along with us. But at the same time, we should also be growing in depth because we should be moving further along the discipleship process. And so if that's true, I have a couple questions for us. First of all, who is responsible, responsible for discipleship? And then how do we do that? Well, first of all, the church is responsible for discipleship. It's our job to lead in worship every week, to, to create a space where we can come worship together, to teach God's word in a powerful way, to make sure this is a place that you feel comfortable bringing others along with you, to have classes and small groups and mentoring relationships and serve together opportunities where we can grow and serve together. Hey, grow and serve together. That's a cool phrase. We should probably use that sometime. Just kidding, it's actually the mission of our church, but if you didn't know that. But... At the same time, we are also each responsible for discipleship. You see, the resources that are there, the question comes, will we step in? And if that's true, how do we do that? Well, first of all, I think we need to continue to show up. We can continue like Andrew and John to learn, to ask questions, to see how Jesus and the Bible fit and what that means for our life. But the second step is that we each need to get up and follow, and that's a choice that we each need to make. And so, uh, when my kids were little, like three and two, uh, we. We would go to church together, obviously, and we were part of a church in Michigan at that time, kind of a big church, and so um, there were literally hundreds of people in the lobby following the service, connecting with one another. And so since our kids were little, we were afraid we would lose them, and so we'd always just say, hey, follow us, stay right behind us. And like any three and two-year-old, we, they assumed anything we told them was to ruin their lives. And so they decided we're gonna try not to do that. So many times we'd hold their hands and lead them through. And then one Sunday, we're going through, and I remember, I will probably not forget this, we went one way around a group of people and they went another. And maybe not the finest parenting moment, I thought, oh, we'll see how this goes, okay? And so as we're walking this way around the group, we look this way, we can still see them, they can't see us. They literally like joined hands, sat down, and began to cry. Now, my son was in the last service and he said, hey, you did not have my permission to tell that story, so I'm gonna buy him ice cream later just so you know. But <laughs> in my fine parenting skills, I thought, that's what you get. Um, but I went and got them anyway because I'm a nice dad, okay? But here's the thing. Just like my kids had the opportunity, the choice, whether they're going to listen to us, trust us, and follow us, we each have the same choice. Will we listen to, trust, and follow Jesus in his ways? And yes, following Jesus is a one-time thing. It's, it's our decision to say, I'm not gonna do it my way anymore. I'm gonna do it your way. I'm gonna admit that I'm a sinner in need of your grace. But it is also an ongoing decision. It is a process. It takes time. It takes intentional choices. It means saying yes to some things and no to other things. And it means ultimately realigning our lives with who Jesus is. It's something that's fascinating to me is the closer that we follow Jesus, the more we begin to look like him. Now, I wanna apologize in advance to any parents in the room who have children with them because I showed this video I'm about to show you to my kids four years ago, and even a couple of weeks ago, my son was still doing this to me, so you're welcome. Um, but these two guys got this idea that it would be hilarious to compete against each other to see who could follow a stranger on the street as close as possible for as long as possible without being noticed. So let's just check this video out real quick. 
Is he? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> he's right up there. The public have noticed. People are onto him. What's he doing? He knows he's onto a big one. This is ghosting. This is ghosting at its best. Yes, Andy. Keep going. Hang in there, mate. This is big. This is big. This is good. He's got him. So I'd like to ask you a favor. Next time you see Pastor Wayne, just, just saying. Okay, I'll time you. That's good. But here's the thing I noticed about this video. Um, the closer these guys, if you watch this more and more, the closer they get to the people they're following, the more they have to walk like that person. They have to match their steps. They have to match in the way their arms swing. They have to match um, their, their stride and their gait as they walk. In essence, they become like the other person. And the same is true for us when we follow Jesus. We should, the closer we follow him, the more we should begin to look like him, the more our lives should begin to reflect that. And the truth is, that should also influence our choices. Now, this might come as a surprise to you, but I'm not an expert on healthy eating, okay? Why are you laughing? Okay, we get it, we all get it, it's okay, I'm fine. But there's a friend of mine on staff who is, and so I was talking to her about this message, and she said something fascinating. She said, that when you eat healthy food, you crave healthy food, and I could see that. She also said when you eat cinnamon rolls, you crave cinnamon rolls, and I could see that too. And there have been times in my life when I've eaten healthier than others, eaten a lot of salad, maybe even thought about, you know, and really craved cinnamon rolls, and even thought about maybe chopping them up in tiny pieces like bacon bits on the salad. I didn't do that because it's gross. But here's the thing, when you are eating healthy, you may crave a cinnamon roll, but there comes that point where you know, like, I don't really wanna do this. Like, I know what it's gonna mean for me. I know the consequences of that. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. When we begin to follow him, when we begin to make spiritually healthy decisions, our, our spirit craves healthier decisions. And we all know that when we are on the path in the other direction, our spirit begins to crave those things as well. And in the moments when we are living and following Jesus in a healthy way, we may still crave some of those things, but we also know what those decisions are going to do to our soul. And so each day we're left with a decision. Will we follow? Will we take that next step? Will we study God's word? Will we join a small group? Will we be in a Sunday school class? Will we invite others into our lives to shape us? And then once we've done that, will we take the next step to bring others along? Like Andrew and Philip, will we bring others along to meet Jesus, to explore who he is. And at the same time, when we invite others into our lives to journey with us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to push us to be who Jesus made us to be. And when I think about this idea, I think about in high school and college, I really got into weightlifting for a while. And I remember my very first day uh, weightlifting at MacArthur High School here with the football team and bench pressing for the first time in my life, never done that before, and bench pressing the bar 45 pounds and like barely being able to do it. I also remember that the rest of the day, my body felt like jello, and for like a week, I could hardly lift my arms above this like level right here. But fast forward the tape to a few years later, I was able to bench press almost six times that much. And as some of you are doing the math, and you're like, wow, that's so impressive. I could do that with my arm tied behind my back. Well, congratulations if that's you. Uh, but for me, that was a big accomplishment. And why was I able to do that? I was able to do that because I worked hard, but more importantly, because I brought people along with me. Some who were already excited about it, some who'd never done it before. And we just got excited about it. We pushed each other, we did it regularly. Sometimes we even yelled at each other to inspire one another to do what we needed to do. And I think the same thing is true in our spiritual journeys. That we need to invite others into our life who are willing to speak into our life, who are willing to question the things that we're doing, who are willing to inspire us and challenge us and even yell at us at, at times if that's what we need. And I just wanna suggest that if you're here today and you've stalled in your spiritual journey, 
then maybe it's time to bring others along. Maybe it's time to invite others to see who Jesus is. Maybe it's time to invite others into your life to journey with you, to ask you how you're doing, to keep you accountable, to encourage you to follow Jesus the way that you should, should do that. I also wanna suggest that one of the ways that we can do that here as a church is through small groups, is through Sunday school classes. And this, this afternoon, after we're done with the service here, I'm gonna be hanging out in the lobby. I would love to talk with you about our small group, activity, or small group opportunities. And then we are also beginning a brand new mentoring ministry um, where we would believe that one-on-one -on -one relationship is so important. And so guys, sorry, we haven't quite gotten to you yet, but we're starting with ladies 18 years older. If you um, like to be a part of one of those, please stop by the table in the lobby. I'd love to talk to you about how you can do that. We are launching that ministry this week, so if you'd like to be a part of that, please sign up today. I also believe that maybe the next step for some of us in the room is to, to join a Serve Together opportunity, to get invested in God's mission, to join him in that. And I know some of you are thinking like, do we have any opportunities to do that? Well, yes, we do. Right here on this card, there are six opportunities, and each of those is reflected by a table in the lobby today. And I encourage you to look at those and see how you might join Jesus in what he is doing, how you might stop by those tables and talk to the people that are there about how you can be a part of one of these ministries. And I know that some of you are thinking, you know what, Jonathan, I've done this before and it didn't work out. And if that's you, I just wanna say, okay, you're off the hook. Psych. Psych is a word from the 90s that means not really, just in case you were curious. Um, but here's the deal. I've been a part of groups that didn't work either. I've led groups that didn't work, which isn't like a super proud thing to say. But what I have noticed about groups over the time, both grow together and serve together, is that they only work if the people in them are really serious about pursuing discipleship. They're really serious about joining one another and encouraging one another and challenging one another. Otherwise, they just become spiritual camaraderie groups. And so if you're stalled in your journey today, maybe today is the day you need to invite others along. And that leads us to the last point, which is to become disciples who make disciples. And I've met a number of people in my journey who I respect spiritually in a deep way, who I think have really had a struggle getting to that level. And I get it. I think it's a scary thing to step into leadership, to take on a new ministry endeavor. I felt the, the tension like, am I really ready to do this? Do I have the time to do this? And I think when we feel that way, we need to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus didn't say if you feel like it or when you're ready or if you have time or if you feel prepared, he said go and make disciples. But he must have also known we would feel that way because the very last sentence in the Great Commission says this, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus told us to go, to make disciples, to, to baptize them, to teach them to obey him. But he also said you don't have to do this on your own because I will be with you. This is something that he has called each of us to do and this is what it really means to be a healthy church. And so I invite you this morning, if you've been showing up, keep showing up, keep asking questions. Connect with somebody who might be able to speak into those questions. If you've been doing that for a while, maybe it's time to get up and follow, to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, to accept forgiveness for your sin, to receive his grace. And if you've done that, and maybe you haven't taken the next step to follow it a deeper way, to, to get closer with him, to allow him to influence your decisions. Maybe it's time to do that. Maybe for some of us in here, it's time to bring others along, to learn to share our faith with the people around us, to invite them to come to church with us. Maybe it's time to invite people into our lives who can challenge us and encourage us and help keep us accountable. And maybe some of us, it's, the, it's our opportunity to make other disciples, to step into a leadership role, maybe even lead a small group.
or at least take a significant role in that small group where you're committed to keeping that group focused on what Jesus has called that group to do. Maybe it's time to share your faith openly with others. Maybe it's time, maybe God has given you a vision for a ministry that he wants you to be a part of. We would love to help partner with you in getting that going. Because see, these opportunities, they don't exist to make us feel good, to make us feel good about our mission or to keep us busy. These opportunities exist as resources so that together we can be a group of disciples who are making other disciples. See, Jesus knew that we would be at different places on the journey. He knew that some of us would start sooner than others, some of us would move faster than others. But as I study the word, I don't see Jesus being as concerned with our pace as he is with our direction. And so it's our job to take one step after the next step after the next step and continue to follow him till we get to the point we are disciples making disciples. And even when we get there, we're not done. And so the question becomes, what is your next step? What is my next step? And are you willing to step into that? And if we all do that together as a church, we can continue to be the healthy church that Jesus has called us to be. Would you please pray with me? God, you are so good to us. And Lord, we just thank you for this church that we get to be a part of, to, to come here and to encounter you, to worship you, to learn from your word. God, to live lives of worship as Pastor Wayne talked about last week. But even beyond that, God, to know that you've called us into something deeper. You've called us to be your disciples, Lord, to follow you and to make other disciples. Lord, I know that as I prepared for this time here together, God, that there were things in my life that I feel like you pointed out, like, hey, you need to do this. And I suspect I'm not alone in that, Lord. And I pray for anyone here today, God, anyone who hears this message, Lord, if there's something in our hearts going, hey, it's time to, to take this seriously, Lord, that you give us the courage to do that, to trust that, Lord, if, if you've called us to something, that you're gonna be faithful to that. So, Lord, I thank you for each person here. I ask for your blessing on them, Lord, and we thank you most of all for Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.